Well, Happy New Year. Um, glad you guys chose to, to brave the weather. If you're watching online, we're glad you guys tuned in as well. Uh, tag somebody in the comments, share the feed, whatever you got to do, let people know you're watching. Um, I'm excited to start a new year here at the city. I, I believe God's going to do some, some huge things in and through our church this year. Barry, before the service, uh, Pastor Barry talked to us and said he has this picture of us being at the top of this snow-covered hill and we're about to jump on a sled and, and go and to see where God takes us. And that's kind of the feeling I have as well. You know, I, I picture Clark Griswold, you know, it's Christmas vacation, just a like, we're, we're ready, man. We're ready. God's going to move. He's going to change hearts and lives. He's going to do what only he can do. And we're just kind of waiting to see how we can be a part. And uh, we're going to continue this year preaching through scripture verse by verse. We're still in the, the book of Luke. If you're new to us, we've been preaching through the book of Luke for several months now. And we're going to continue to do the same thing today. Uh, hope you had a good New Year, New Year's Eve, all of that stuff. I got to spend most of New Year's Eve day waiting to get released from the hospital. <laughs> I spent a night there. I've been having some breathing problems, lung problems over the last couple of months. And... Um, uh, they drained a couple of pounds of fluid off the left side of my cavity here, and uh, I'm feeling better. We're waiting on some results. They're pretty sure it's nothing scary, but all that to say, if I cough or wheeze or, you know, fall over, you know, you know why. So uh, just leave me be. I'll wake up eventually. Um, also, we had a good Christmas. Uh, you know, Christmas gifts. I hope, hope Santa brought you all the things you wanted. One, one of the things that I've noticed is becoming more and more popular, especially to give as gifts. In fact, my daughter got this for Christmas last year, even though she hasn't done anything with it yet. It's still at our house. But it's these genealogy kits. You know, you have the, the 23andMe and the uh, Ancestry.com. How many of you guys have done one of those genealogy kits sent off? A couple of people. They're super cool, right? And more and more people are doing them. Uh, they're getting interested. They want to trace their history, figure out if they're related to somebody that's famous or, or infamous, you know, or maybe they, they're royalty and didn't know it. They have a claim to some kind of throne uh, across the, the other side of the world. Or, or maybe, <clears throat> I think it makes people feel better about themselves, right? Because, you know, maybe your life isn't so great, but your great, great, great uncle did something with his life, right? So at least you've got that. Um, and it's not just relatives, it, you know, you, there's some of these newer ones that you can take and they'll tell you about your health and how likely you are to be allergic to certain foods or to, to get certain diseases. Uh, and this is the coolest part of all of it. I, I'm a huge uh, junkie when it comes to true crime podcasts and that kind of stuff. I listen to a lot of them. I mean, way too many. Right. And um, they're, they're using these DNA uh, kind of pools, these, these databases to triangulate um, and find some, some relatives of some unsolved uh, murderers. Like they might have DNA on file, but the person's not in the system and they'll, they'll track down relatives of these people to catch them. It's the coolest thing ever. And if you might've heard recently, they, they caught the Golden State Killer after 50 years of not knowing who this guy was. I mean, he is guilty of 30 murders, 50 plus sexual assaults, 120 burglaries. They had no idea who he was until they tracked down relatives of his and kind of worked their way down and, and caught the guy. Super cool, super cool, right? So when it comes to my family tree, I haven't done the, the DNA testing. I hope to do it someday. All I've got is just stories passed down from my grandparents and my parents. I want to share a couple of people that I'm related to. The first one I thought was pretty cool is Henry Gonzalo Woods. This is him. I assume this is his miserable wife. I don't know her name, but 
Um, I think it'd be cool to go back to these days, like, and just stop smiling for pictures. I think that, I mean, imagine your Instagram feed. If, if every picture just was you looking like you wanted to punch somebody, right? That would be super, super cool. But this, this is Henry. He fought in quite a few of, um, the battles in the Texas revolution, uh, before and after the Alamo, he wasn't at the Alamo, but one cool thing was he was, um, one of only two survivors of the Dawson massacre. This was after the Alamo and, and there was a spear that he used to, to survive that attack. And that, that spear is actually on display in the Alamo. I've seen it. It's pretty cool. He then served as a Texas Ranger. He searched for a, uh, led the search for an accused murderer. His name was John Curlick, and he was actually killed in an ambush by Curlick and kind of his, his gang members. So, so that's, that's Henry. The next one is this. This is one I'm most famous for probably, Betsy Ross. I'm supposedly related to her, okay? If you remember, she's made the first flag. Legend has it that George Washington himself came into her, her shop and asked her to, to, to sew up this first flag in 1777. And it, it's also a legend, some people dispute this fact, but she apparently talked him into using a five-pointed star instead of the six-pointed star that he wanted to use. And apparently she's my sixth great-grandmother. Uh, the, the name Ross is passed down from, you know, my uncle's middle name is Ross. My name is Brandon Ross, my son, Aiden Ross. And so hopefully when I do this, um, this genealogy thing one day, she's in there or my family's been lying to me all this time. Uh, but the best I know, my family's a mix of German and Irish and who knows what else. And it's also my guess that you don't really care about any of this <laughs> because why? It's not your family. Well, guess what? I probably don't care about your family tree either, right? Unless you're related to someone famous, I probably don't care. And there, there just might be a group of verses in the Bible that you care just as little about. Though you would never, you would never admit that, right? I can guarantee you, you've probably skipped over it multiple times. You've probably never even read all of it. And that's the genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter three. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And you're probably like, seriously, we're going to, we're going to do a whole sermon on a bunch of names. And to be honest, when Clayton told me I'd be talking about this, I felt the same way. I'm like, what in the world am I going to talk about for 30 minutes? I'm not sure I've even ever heard a sermon on it. And, and I can guarantee you this, probably you, you've never studied the genealogy in this part of your quiet time. I can guarantee you've never posted a quote from the genealogy on Facebook or Instagram. In fact, I challenge you to do it. See how many likes and shares you get, right? Go ahead and post, son of Amon, son of Nahum, son of Esli, hashtag blessed, and see what you get back. It's not gonna be much, but, but my Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture, not some, not the, the ones that give you the warm, fuzzy feeling. All scripture, all of it is inspired by God. God breathed. He, he, he uses it to equip us. And these group of verses 
are no different. If you've ever doubted that every piece of scripture, every chapter, every verse is completely loaded with life-changing, life-giving truth, I hope today changes your mind because there's so much in there to be had. And and you're going to see that in just a minute. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, 23 through 38. Now, if you've been here the last you know, couple of months, you know we've started a new thing where we have somebody come up and read the, the verses for us as we stand. And I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to randomly pick one of you to come up and read uh, the genealogy of Jesus. So who wants to? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I, I wouldn't put that on you. I'm going to take one for the team. And I'll do it myself, okay? I'm going to be reading from the the ESV version in case you're you're wondering. It's a little bit uh, different. I chose it just because it uses fewer words. And it does, most of the translations say every name twice. I'm just not going to do that, okay? So we're going to start in verse 23. If you guys would stand just in reverence of the, the word of God as we read it. Luke 3, verse 23. Here we go. Let's see if I can do it. Starting in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Ressa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You guys can have a seat. <laughs> you thought I was going to trip up on Mahalalel, but I didn't. So, so th- this is one of two genealogies in scripture. This is Luke chapter three, obviously. There's another one in Matthew chapter one. So I'm going to kind of start with going through some of the differences between those two, because there's a lot of them. So it gets a little bit heady. Hang with me here. We're going to go through some of these things. Uh, first of all, they're in different places in the books. Uh, Matthew starts his book with the genealogy. It's the very first thing. Luke waits until after the baptism of Jesus and before Jesus starts his ministry and, and the temptation of Jesus. They're in a different order. Matthew goes from past to present. 
Luke goes from present to past. There's a different stopping point. Matthew stops at Abraham, but Luke, as you just saw, goes all the way back to Adam and ultimately to God himself. Uh, they're a different link. There's different amounts of names in them. Uh, Matthew has 42 names. Luke had 77 names. Uh, there are different names listed. This is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. Uh, um, the names between Abraham and David are identical, but when you get to David, it changes. It's almost like there, there's two different family trees that are mentioned here. Something Luke traces Mary's line since his book is basically all from Mary's uh, point of view. Um, Matthew chases, uh, traces Joseph's line. Matthew traces Jesus through Solomon while Luke passes through Nathan. Jesus' grandfather in Matthew is named Jacob, but in Luke it's Heli. Now some think these differences can't be reconciled, but, but some think they can. So here, here's some kind of possible reasons for these kinds of differences. Like first of all, Heli's the, the father of Mary. So, so some think that, that uh, her, her family adopted Joseph because there were no sons in the family. Some argue that the word son has a broader meaning than an actual son. Maybe it could include son-in-law. Uh, others think that Luke's just includes more detail than Matthew's. So, so think about this. For example, if I asked some of you how to get to Fort Worth from here, some of you would say you go south on 84, east on 20, you'll see the signs, right? Very simple. Others might say south on 84, you're going to go through Post and Snyder to Roscoe and then I-20 east through Sweetwater and Abilene, Cisco, Weatherford, and you're going to get there, right? Still others might give me the, the Highway 114 route a little further north. A lot of different detail, but they all get you to the, the same place. There's a lot of theologians that think that's kind of what's happening here in, with, with some of these differences. Luke just gives a lot more detail. They're all right. They take different routes. They all get you to the same place. And then finally, some uh, speculate that they're writing to different audiences. You know, you have Matthew who traces back to Abraham is showing his, his Jewish roots, right? Maybe appealing to a Jewish audience. But Luke goes all the way back to Adam, showing that, that Jesus' story is a part of humanity's story. And that leads us to our first point I want us to see today is that, that Jesus is the center of history. Jesus is the center of history. This this. Genealogy here, this lineage of Jesus is literally weaving him into the fabric of history. Like, like Amber said, our children's pastor, Amber, if you're here on Christmas Eve, she had all the kids come up and they read some of the Christmas story. And one of the things she told them, the kids on Christmas Eve, is that this isn't a fairy tale. This is fact. No one doubts the existence of Jesus anymore. You know, we're kind of way past that. What the genealogy gives us is that Jesus was a real person in real time. It related to real people. He's the, the, the center of history. In fact, we've divided history itself by the birth of Jesus. You have B.C. and A.D., B.C. before Christ, A.D. is not after death, okay? That's what a lot of people go to, but it's a Latin phrase, anno domini, which means in the year of our Lord. It's literally referring to the birth of Christ. Our timeline in history is, is divided by Jesus' birth. On that day, everything changed. So that means you can't even write a check without attesting to the birth of Jesus, 
This is fun to think about. Think about this. Somewhere in the world, there's an atheist attesting to the lordship of Jesus every time he references the year. That's a pretty awesome thought. Jesus is the center of history. His arrival changed everything. Next, Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is where it gets real easy to kind of nerd out, but in the Old Testament, there, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus. In fact, if you include what they call micro references or kind of allusions to Jesus, there's over 500. Where he'd be born, the circumstances surrounding it, what he would do, what his ministry would be like, how he would die. And yes, even about his lineage, who he would be related to, who he would come from. All of these were prophesied by Old Testament prophets from the lips of God himself and all of them 100% accurate. And again, many of them relating to his, his lineage. I mean, it's astounding accuracy. If, if you've ever doubted scripture's validity, do some research on Old Testament prophecies. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It'll blow your mind how accurate they are. Only God could do that. So we're going to kind of, we're not going to go through all 300 plus. We're going to hit some of the highlights here. Um, some, some times where it's prophesied kind of what line Jesus will be from. We're going to take three different names that were in that genealogy and look back at some of those, those prophecies. The first one is David, God's promise to David. This, this comes to David through the prophet Nathan in second Samuel chapter seven. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. So he's telling David, you're gonna, there's going to be a dynasty of kings after you. And he starts referring here to a particular offspring of David. His name was Solomon. He goes on and says this about Solomon. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, something interesting happens here. He's talking about Solomon. But he's not just talking about Solomon. Obviously, Solomon's throne ended. His, his kingdom ended. So he's talking about someone else. There's some parallels here. He's also talking about Jesus himself. He's saying, Jesus, you know, I will be his father and he'll be my son. He'll be a descendant of David, but also the son of God himself. He's talking about the temple that Solomon will build. But he's not just talking about a physical building. He's talking about Jesus and how Jesus would be the cornerstone of the house of God. And then in verse 16, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. Again, he's not just talking about the line of physical kings from David. That eventually ended. He's talking about Jesus, that he will reign forever as the king of kings for all of eternity. And then from prophet Isaiah, this is, this is a prophecy specifically talking about Jesus himself. He said, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. So he's saying this, this king is going to be from the line of David and his reign will never end. So, so, so that's David. Let's go back a little further. You heard the name Abraham in there. This is God's promise to Abraham from Genesis chapter 12. God tells him all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. All the families on the earth. Think about that. All of them. 
all, not, not, not just the, the Israelites, right? Not just Abraham's family, but all of them, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all families. The inclusion of all families of the earth points to the spread of the gospel and the salvation of Christ to the ends of the earth. God then repeats this same promise to his son, Isaac, and the grandson, Jacob. Let's go back even further. This is the Garden of Eden. This is God's confrontation with, with Adam and Eve and the serpent. You remember the serpent we know to be Satan. And this is where God addresses the serpent in verse 15. He said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is so very interesting. First of all, you see, He's talking about the offspring, right? Between your offspring and her offspring. And then he switches to a he all of a sudden. What could he possibly be talking about here? He, the offspring talked about here is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. Her offspring talking about Eve, but he's inferring here the offspring of Mary. Jesus will strike the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike the heel of Jesus. Think about that imagery. Though Satan struck or, or bruised Jesus' heel, right, as he was beaten and bruised and tortured and hung on a cross and killed, ultimately Jesus delivered the final blow when he walked out of that tomb. He crushed the head of the serpent. See, the story of Jesus is woven all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament. He fulfilled every prophecy. Next, Jesus had the right pedigree. He had the right pedigree to be king. And not just king, but the king of kings. This was one of the reasons that records of ancestry were extremely popular in Judaism. It was woven into the Jewish culture. Like your, your family lineage meant everything. Everything. It was cr absolutely critical. Here, here's some different ways these, these genealogies were, were used in those days. First of all, it determined the original division of land in Canaan. In Numbers 26, when God divided up the land between the, the 12 tribes, it was all according to your, the family line, the, the, the 12 tribes of Judah. Second, it established the right of inheritance from property and everything else that went with, went with it. You know, when it came time for inheritance, it's, you had to prove that you were in line. You had to prove that you you know, that, that, that you were part of that family tree. You had to provide documentation. Third, it formed the basis of a principle known as kinsman redemption. So if a, a poor person was forced to sell their, sell their property, a relative was to purchase it for him. So you had to prove that you were related to this person so you could buy their property. Next for taxation, we read a few weeks ago as Mary and Joseph had to, to go back to Bethlehem for the census. You know, you had to go back and kind of meet up with your family and prove your, your family line. This, this let the government know if they were, they were collecting enough taxes. Next, it determined if you were eligible to serve as a priest. You couldn't just go to the temple and say, you know, I'd like to fill out a, a priest application, please. <laughs> you know, it didn't work out like that. You had to prove you were from the right family. You had to be traced. You had to trace your ancestry back to the tribe of Levi. And finally, if, if anyone claimed to be king, or Messiah, you had to back it up with records. You had to have the right documentation. You couldn't just claim to be the, the Messiah. 
This reminds me of a, a few years ago at uh, Experience Life downtown campus, which is real close to us here. Uh, Clayton and, and Mark were there. They were doing a baptism service. And there was a guy that came that wanted to be baptized. And he claimed to be Jesus Christ. And he wanted Clayton to baptize him. But instead of Clayton baptizing Jesus, Jesus baptized Clayton. You know, that's why Clayton's so holy now. Uh, I'm just kidding. He didn't, we didn't baptize Jesus. But you can't just claim you're the Messiah. It's like Clayton talked about a couple weeks ago when, you know, he tried to get his kids in and out of the country. You can't just go through customs and say, hey, these are my kids. It's all good. You had to have documentation to prove that they belong to you, that they're citizens. So in chapter three, in the early parts of chapter three, you had Jesus getting baptized. You remember in the heavens parted and the dove ascended and you had the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You had God himself saying, he is mine. And now through the genealogy, we have the supporting documentation. Jesus wasn't a self-appointed Messiah. He had the pedigree. His connection to David establishes his rights as a legal heir to the throne. Jesus then can be king of Israel. Abraham links Jesus to the national promise and the hope of the Israelites. Adam allows Luke to argue that Jesus represents all of humanity. He's the son of God. He's the, the promised one. He isn't just property of Israel. He belongs to all nations, all races. So in Jesus, God has carefully orchestrated things so that Jesus is both the hope of the Old Testament and the hope of all creation. He's the promised king of Israel, the Messiah, the head of the human race. So Luke here is answering this question. Is Jesus qualified to be the Messiah? And the answer is yes. What this genealogy is showing us that Jesus wasn't just a historical figure. He wasn't just a good teacher on moral issues. He wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't some nut job revolutionary that caused a lot of trouble and, and ended up getting killed for it. He was and is God's chosen Messiah, God's son, the savior of the world. He is the king of kings. And this is the documentation that proves it. Finally, Jesus came to save humanity. He came to save humanity. The, the names listed in that genealogy are a good representation of all of humanity. There's some characters in there. There's some names we recognize like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and David. But these people were real. They were real people with real stories. They had done some real stuff. There were no perfect people in that list except for Jesus himself. Judah listed there. He was guilty of incest and adultery. Terah was an idolater. Abraham was a liar. David, we know, committed adultery and murder. And Jesus came from these people. He came to save sinners. <laughs> he came from a line of sinners. We, we as humans have a, a dark history, generation after generation of sin. But light came into the world. Jesus, in him is the light of mankind. One of the quotes I liked from one commentary I was, I was studying this week, I want to read you part of it. He said, what genealogies like this show is that no person is an island unto himself or herself. We come into the world reflecting a heritage 
and representing someone. Jesus is no exception. His family is full of significant historical figures besides David, Abraham, and Adam. For example, Zerubbabel, Jesse, Boaz, Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Shem, Noah, and Enoch. In this list are some who walk closely with God and some whose walk was uneven. In a sense, Jesus represents them much as he does us. In the list is also a variety of humanity. Some of the people are well-known Old Testament people who made a great mark. Others are known to us only in this listing. Jesus represents both the well-known and the unknown of the world. Jesus represents us all. He is the, the head of humanity. So, so God's plan of salvation indicates that he didn't want just to be a, a tribal God, a God of only one people or of only one religion. He came for everyone. He came for you. He came for me. That's why I follow Jesus. If you're new to, to the city, we have something called a city seven. Um, these are seven foundational truths that just help us to remember why we believe what we believe based in evidence. And we're on number five this week. Here's, here's number five. Why do I follow Jesus? I follow Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, Jesus himself claimed to be God. He said, I am the way to God. I am the truth. I am the life. He claimed to be God and he, he proved it by not staying dead. He rose from the dead. He came back to life. I don't know about you, but I'm going with the guy that predicted his death and resurrection and then pulled it off. Why do I follow Jesus? It's not some leap of blind faith. It's, it's based in reasonable evidence. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God today. I don't know if you've ever made a decision to commit your life to Christ. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life, you know all the right Sunday school answers. Do you follow him? Do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, you can start one today. God so loved the world, he sent his only son Jesus. Not so love the world, but also so loves you as an individual. He sent his son to live that perfect life that you're incapable of living, that I'm incapable of living because God's standard is perfection. So Jesus came all God and all man in one, God in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He hung on a cross and died. He died for us, for our sins. He paid the fine. And then he rose from the dead, taking back the, the, the keys, defeating death and sin forever. And now we have an opportunity to have a relationship with God through Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. If you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus today, what better time? Today's the 2nd of January. It's time to, to do things differently. Go God's way. Stop doing things our way. You have a heavenly father that loves you perfectly and wants what's best for you. So you got to bend the knee.
you've got to surrender to him. So I'm, I'm asking you as we start this new year, make that decision today. If you do, I, I'd ask you to let us know about it. We're, we're a church family here. We, that's what we're all about is walking with each other, helping each other grow. We want to know about that decision you're making so that we can help you grow in your relationship with God. So let us know on the app. You can go to the connect form and check I'm committing my life to Christ. We'd love to walk with you through that, talk to you about next steps in your relationship with him. So for all of us today, you know, it's one thing just to hear a bunch of information, but then how does it impact us? Like, what are we supposed to do with it? James, the brother of Jesus said that if we, we just hear information and then don't do anything about it, we're, we're fooling ourselves. <laughs> like a man that sees his reflection in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. We don't wanna be that today. We wanna take what we've heard, take what we've learned and then apply it. We wanna do something about it. So here's a couple of takeaways that I have. First of all, Jesus' family tree is your family tree. We should care about his genealogy because his story is our story. And I'm not just talking about because we cannot trace it all back to Adam and we're all connected that way. We're talking about your adoption status if you're a follower of Jesus. Romans 8 says, because of what Jesus did for us and because we are adopted into God's royal family, we are now co-heirs with Christ co-heirs. That means brothers and sisters of Jesus. Because of this genealogy, there's now another spiritual genealogy that includes our names. Our names are written along with the others in the Lamb's book of life. We should care because this is our story too. This is, this is the evidence of your faith. You're now written into his story. His family tree is our family tree. And finally, you will leave a spiritual legacy. You will leave a spiritual legacy of one kind or another. We're not talking about a bloodline here. You know, so many people talk about leaving something for their kids and you're working on savings and stuff and we all have life insurance policies. We wanna leave our kids an inheritance or land or buildings or whatever else, how much thought have you given to your spiritual bloodline? Where is your spiritual family tree heading? Because it's heading somewhere. How much thought have you given to it? Is it, is it heading towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Again, not talking about church. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. We, we are all in a position to influence our family tree for generations to come. Think about that. You are where you are in your family story. And there's gonna be some that come after you. What are you doing now to set your family up for success? Not just financially, but spiritually. You know, I was fortunate enough to be passed down a, just a, a godly heritage. And it goes back a lot further, but for me in my life, it starts with my grandmother, my mama. This is Olita Gwynn. She was a godly woman. I mean, when I think of what it means to be Christ-like, she was Christ-like, completely humble and gentle and soft-spoken. A godly woman that prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for us. She passed away when I was a senior in high school, 
early. She was young. But she left a legacy for our family. It continues on with my mom and my dad, the same thing. They, they brought us up the way they were supposed to. They pray for us. And now my, my sisters and I have some big shoes to fill. When it comes to my family, who will stand in the gap for my kids and their kids? Listen, maybe you don't have, you weren't fortunate enough to have that godly legacy handed down to you. Who is going to break that cycle in your family and start a new tradition, start a new branch of the family tree? As we close today and we, we sing some songs to, to God and worship, Ask God, what is your next step? What are you supposed to do with this? This is, this is a great time for New Year's resolutions, right? So many people get stuck on getting healthy and working out, eating better and, you know, money things. Like, what are you going to do spiritually this year? It's only the second. You've only wasted one day. <laughs> Today's a new day. What are you going to do? Maybe it starts with just getting your kids in church consistently. I mean, come on, guys, that's, that's the bare minimum. Get your families to church. Your kids right now, if you have kids back here, I don't care where they are, they're hearing the word of God. They're going to have a, a, a solid biblical foundation. They're going to know what they believe and why they believe it. For you personally, are you spending time with God? Or do our daily devos. Do, you, do your kids see you spend time with God? Or are you praying for your kids on a consistent basis? Do the table talk on our app. Table talk, we talk about it all the time. Start, start some, some real conversations with your kids, conversations that matter, that mean something. Remember, as parents, our most important responsibility and really the greatest privilege, the greatest privilege of parenting is having, having the opportunity to introduce our kids to Jesus. That is your greatest responsibility. It's up to you. It's not my job. It's not Clayton's job. It's not Amber's job. It's, it's your job as a parent to lead your kids, to model for them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Show them what it means to follow him. Are you doing that? And if you're not, who's going to? Maybe you're not married. You don't have kids. You're like, this doesn't really apply to me. Oh, it does. You think who you're dating now has no effect on your future, family tree, your spiritual legacy? Man, find and date someone who loves Jesus. And listen, nobody does this perfectly, right? I have so much room to grow in all of this. No, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what your kids have, have seen or lived through or what your history has been, God can still turn things around. God can still use you. This is a new year. It's never too late until it's too late. Start something today. Let's take a minute here and let's just pray and ask God what our next step is. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we, we ask you to speak to us today. What am I supposed to do with this? What, what baby step am I supposed to take in your direction when it comes to, to my bloodline? It, it, maybe we're supposed today to, to realize that we are 
who you say we are, that we are part of God's royal family, that we do stand before the throne of God because of what Jesus did for us. We stand before you holy and blameless without a single fault. God, we, we have freedom in you. Maybe we need to, to hear that and, and start living as people who are free instead of people who are still chained to, to sin and addiction and shame. Maybe we're supposed to hear that we need to break the cycle in our family. We need to start a new branch of that family tree. It needs to start with us, a new godly heritage that we can leave our kids and their kids and their kids. I mean, the thought of how far this can go is just mind blowing. We can affect our, our families for generations to come because of the choices we make today, because of the time we spend in prayer today. God, what are we supposed to do? I pray you'd make that clear to us in this moment and that we would have the, the courage not, not to run from this or walk out of the door and forget about it, but to, to step boldly into a new future. Going your direction, carving a new path, embracing maybe the awkwardness, pushing our fears to the side and doing what you called us to do, leading the ones we love the most straight towards Jesus. We love you, God, in your name. Amen.